When man entered the atomic age, he opened a door into a new world. What we'll eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Atomic Age Saucercast, aka the sexiest saucer men to ever walk this planet. <laughs> My name is Jerry, and the man you hear laughing is Mr. Court Psyops. It's my fault that you call us the sexiest saucer men in podcasting because I keep fucking up the name every time I guest somewhere when I talk about the show. I'm like, is it Atomic Age Saucer Men or Atomic Age Saucer Cast or what's the name? Oh, that's we, pretty funny. And we also have the lovely Darren. We control the narrative so we can be the sexy saucer men of the saucer cast. <laughs> I still feel like it's a lie, though, when we say that we're sexy. <laughs> You know, but here's the thing. We're sexy to someone. Yeah, Therefore, someone. we are sexy in someone's perspective. That's all that matters. Yeah, I would hope that I'm at least sexy to my significant other. You would hope. I think I'm I think my cat thinks I'm sexy. It keeps rubbing up on me. I'm like, "No cat, we don't do that here." <laughs> this is not the house of <laughs> of weirdness. Get off me, cat. Yeah, I don't even like to be in the same like room as a furry, so this is not happening, cat. <laughs> not that furries know. bang their pets. I'm just no, saying that you can be a furry all you want to. It creeps me the fuck out, but you can do it. Just don't, you know, fuck animals. My animals cat. can't consent. Animals I, cannot consent. Yeah, and I also don't have a problem with furries. They don't creep me out at all. Just do you, you know, just, you know. Make sure it's all consenting, whatever it is that you're doing. They creep me out, but they're also highly interesting to me. I watched like this 40-minute like mini documentary on furries the other day, and it wasn't like just like them going to furry conventions, but it was like them going through the history of furries and how it all started with with the the uh, funny animal comics and and going through that whole shit. And uh, it was fucking crazy, man. They had this whole like mini like civil war. Where they were like furries and then there were burned fur because the burned fur people didn't like all the perverts and shit inside of it. And was like, y'all are trying to turn this into weird prostitution sex parties and we're just trying to be funny animals. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck yeah. off. It was uh, very, very funny. Uh, furries has nothing to do with the movie we're watching uh, and reviewing today, which is Them from 1954. The earliest atomic test in Mexico caused common ants to mutate into giant man-eating monsters that threatened civilization. I don't think they actually eat anyone. I think they just kill them. So I don't know if I'd call them man-eating. It's heavily implied that they actually were devouring the people and using them as food. It just, they can't come right out and say that that's what was happening because it's the 50s and, you know. Oh, but we can talk about their white powder addiction. <laughs> yeah. Fucking. Uh, anyway. It's a theft of yeah, 50 uh, pounds of sugar. <laughs> Directed by Gordon Douglas and written by Ted Sherdeman, Russell SQs, and others. Uh, we've got a all-star cast of James Whitmore, Edmund Gwynn, who uh, you might know if you've ever seen the original Miracle on 34th Street because he played Santa Claus. Joan Wilden, yep. James Arness. Uh, a whole bunch of other fucking people. James Arness was actually the dude inside the suit in the original The Thing, not the John yes. Carpenter one. 
Yes, he was in the very original. I, I, you know how the people correct people on stupid things and it makes them a jerk? Yeah, I'm usually the guy that does the correcting, so totally. So, me too. So, uh, I'm the one that anytime someone, uh, talks about, like, the thing, and I'll be like, so the original or the remake? And they're like, <laughs> uh, you know, the original, John Carpenter's, and I'm like, that's the remake. Well, what happened? What about the one that came out in the 2000s? That's a prequel. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, I'm the worst about it when people will be like, I really liked the remake of uh, House of Wax. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Vincent Price fucking killed that, man. That shit was good. And they're like, no, the one with Paris Hilton, that's the remake. And I'm like, bitch, that's the remake of a remake. Vincent Price's <laughs> House of Wax 3D is the original remake because it's a remake of House of Wax. I meant uh, Mystery at the Wax Museum. Uh, well, you know. And I would just say the one with it. Charles Bronson in it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a jerk is my whole point on this. Man, Vim has a really high rating on IMDb. It has a 7.2 out of 10, which is extremely high for this type of movie. Most of its brethren have, you know, a 2 to a 5. <laughs> I would say that this is probably the granddaddy of all of the big bug hunt movies because they actually built a lot of the giant size ants for humans to interact with on the same screen. They didn't use the Bird Eye Gordon split screen stuff, and it has a lot of like very serious tone to it. It doesn't play it tongue in cheeks. Like, you know, a lot of the other kind of big bug movies always have some kind of a bit of humor and. You know, they're like, yeah, we know our effects are corny, but this one plays it straight the whole way through. And I think it really just resonates with people more. And I think that's why it scores a little bit higher. I think so, because it really did kind of kick off this whole wave of giant uh, bugs. You know, you had the one with the black, the you've got tarantula, you've got uh, that one with the giant mantis. Forget what yeah, black. Black Scorpion as well. Was yeah, Black Scorpion, one. the Deadly Mantis. Uh, yeah. It, it seems to have really kicked off this whole thing. And I have to wonder going into this, I was like, is them really as good as people are saying it is? Or is this an example of it's getting a lot of passes because it's a classic, kind of like listening to Snoop Dogg rap? Hmm. Like, I, I still liked it a lot. It had been a long time since I had watched it. Well, my wife had never seen it before watching with it, watching it with me yesterday when we watched it yesterday afternoon. And she was supposed to be trying to take a nap during it. And she stayed awake for the whole film and was really angry that she didn't take a nap. She thought she was going to be able to sleep through it, but she was captivated and it kept her awake, even though she was tired. Oh, silly human thinking they can take naps during them. The movie has an exclamation point in the title. That is a clear indication there will be no sleeping during the movie. Well, so does Panic at the Disco, but nothing puts me to sleep faster. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, the lead singer's favorite band is Every Time I Die, which is my favorite band, so they get a pass on everything they do for me. Also, uh, his, uh, if you've never heard his, uh, like screaming vocals, it's fucking rad. He's really good. I are also the, do think he's a great singer. I don't really listen to Are they to the shit, somebody, 
Somebody told me that your girlfriend had a girlfriend that looks like somebody last Tuesday. Is that that band? No, no, that's not that. Okay. That's um, uh, fuck. What is that band called? No, they're the uh, haven't you people ever heard of closing the goddamn door? <laughs> oh, okay. I also threw up this morning, like literally right before we recorded. So, you know, <laughs> rock oh, on. Shit. I didn't do any, I didn't like party or anything last night. I just have been, I've had morning sickness for like the past fucking week and I'm pregnant and it's one of you two's child. So one and or both of you are going to start paying me child support. Well, um, it's more well, likely to be me than Darren because he's been snipped. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Well, you know what? Much like uh, Richie Tozer, not Richie Tozer. Yeah, Richie Tozer and uh, the It novel, sometimes that shit don't work. <laughs> well, also, I would like to put the blame on Court because between the two of us, only he has a voice sexy enough to impregnate someone over uh, <laughs> over the phone. I don't know. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> I'm kind oh, of slutty. So, uh, with this movie, it originally was not only going to be in color, but it was going to be filmed in 3D. And unfortunately, <laughs> both of those things were cut literally like right before day one of shooting. They kept some of the gimmicks that were worked into the script, though, because there's a lot of stuff going at the screen. It makes sense now. Yes, they did keep that, and they also did keep uh, the title being in red for some reason, which, to be fair, looked really good, so I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, I've seen copies of this before where it's all in black and white, where they didn't bother putting the red on there, so I'm glad it got restored for the version that we got for this review. Yeah, I also want to say the Blu-ray looks beautiful. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I definitely need to pick I need to pick that Blu-ray up for sure. Uh, this movie also has the worst tagline in history. The tagline, the official tagline for this movie is the amazing new Warner Brothers sensation. Yeah, that that's not selling me on shit, because fuck Warner Brothers. But it's the <laughs> amazing new Warner Brothers sensation. <laughs> it, yeah um okay you could have just said maybe... giant ants kill people that would have been much better oh did i forget to tell you that it also has an exclamation point does that change your mind <laughs> now back to the panic at the disco argument again ah, fuck. <laughs> so uh in the desert of new mexico a young girl wandering along a road in shock is found by two state troopers when she's brought to the police station, she is identified by the police very later on. So anyway, we start this movie in the New Mexico desert. We've got uh, Johnny, who is in a helicopter, and he's calling the call below to report something. The little girl is seen wandering in the desert. The girl is dressed in a bathrobe and carrying a doll. Sergeant Ben Peterson exit the car to retrieve the child. She is in shock and unresponsive to commands. Trooper. Did anybody recognize Red from Shawshank Redemption as the sergeant? Oh, as Ben Peterson? No, I did not realize that. Yeah, it's Red, like, as a young man. Um, but it's unmistakable whenever you see the, the photos of him as Red next to him there. Like, he totally just looks like a guy who got just a little bit older and grayer before he played Red. It's all, Or not Red, but uh, 
the book guy. Um, Brooks, Brooks. Brooks. I'm sorry. Oh, oh okay. Because like, I'm sitting here trying to think about Morgan Freeman. Like, where was he? Yeah, like, not Morgan Freeman. Black. I mean, I sorry, understand yeah. this movie's in black and white, but I think he still would have shown up as black in the movie instead of no, white. No, he, he totally would have. Yeah, no, not Red Brooks. I got my names mixed up from that, but Brooks, the guy that had the bird and was a librarian, is the sergeant in this. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, we also have Trooper Ed Blackburn. Oh yeah. Who takes a call from the airplane pilot? that giant has spotted a trailer about three miles down the road. Ben and Ed take the girl and drive down the road to investigate the trailer. Uh, they discover the trailer has substance or has sustained structural damage, but there's no evidence of fire or an explosion. No money has been taken, and bloodstains are estimated to be less than 12 hours old. Ben does find a piece of cloth and plastic. Ed finds some sugar cubes, and a mysterious print in the sand piques their curiosity. Uh, it's giant ant tracks. It like, was pulled out, not pushed in. Your evidence <laughs> is like nothing. You're like, I-, I found some sugar cubes. Well, yes, it's 1950s. Everyone has sugar cubes. They keep them in their pocket. Those the bourgeoisie jerks, they can afford their sugar in cubes. Yeah, yeah the like, 1950s was doing pretty good. Giant jugs of high fructose corn syrup in the remake that came out last year. (laughs) (laughs) I'd watch it. Uh, You had me at giant jugs, and then you won me over when it was fructose corn syrup. (laughs) Because there's nothing better than when a woman is lactating, and it's not milk, but high fructose corn syrup. Good Lord, I can only get so turned on, Jerry. Uh... Yeah. Uh, so they call an You're ambulance. You're going to have some Irish twins if you don't watch it. Oh, guys. shit. I'm going to get knocked up twice. Um, so after searching for more shit, they call an ambulance. Ambulance shows up. Woohoo. They hear a weird chirping noise like crickets, but do not notice that the Ellison girl's response to the sound because she, like, sits up in the fucking ambulance and then just sits back down, and no one notices that. Except Darren, he noticed it. That's right. Well, well, and the audience should notice it and notice that there's something that's terrifying her. And I just want to point out the squeakyish noise that we hear sounded like a bike that I had when I was a kid. Whenever the wheel need creased, <laughs> it made that exact same creaky, weird creaking noise. Yeah, Did old they... people run and jump into their houses when you went by? Yeah, they screamed them. You know, it didn't help, it didn't help that I was covered in fomic acid whenever I rode my bike. That's, that's, you're a weird kid. Um, yeah, I really was, Jerry. I really was. There is a name for this sound. It's called stritulation or some shit like that. And I know this because the, uh, the subtitles kept telling me that that's what it was. Stritulation? Yeah, stritulation or some shit. The, the, the lady doctor says it at some point. The lady scientist. She does say it in the movie. But it honestly tells you every time that it happens. Uh, in subtitles, which is kind of funny. I-, I wonder if the folks that are watching this with subtitles are looking up the word. They're like, what the fuck is a stritulation? I was sitting there like, what the fuck is that? And I, I just, I didn't look it up. I just kind of assumed that that was someone decided that they were going to name the sound ants make because no one else had done it. And they were like, I'm going to give this some weird ass shit name that no one can pronounce. <laughs> like myrmecologist. What the hell is that? A scientist who studies ants. Oh, <laughs> man. 
Look at Darren bringing the noise. Uh, I think I saw that word in my subtitles also. Yep, that's Dr. Harold Medford and Dr. Pat Medford. Ooh, we will meet them shortly. Uh, so they take a casting of the print, and Ben and Ed decide to visit the local store run by Gramps Johnson uh, and see if they know anything. Unfortunately, when they arrive at the store, it's been busted up. It is tore the fuck up, but there's no sign of robbery. But there is sign of sugar. They find his dead body uh, below the store in, I guess, the store area. It's uh, the basement or some shit. Uh... And then they hear this strange noise outside, the stritulation. Mm. And then they notice the wall has been pulled away just like the trailer. And a large barrel of sugar has been taken. Ben exits the stores and Ed remains until the investigation team arrives. Unfortunately, Ed hears that weird chirping sound again and gets uh, an ant. And he shot him six times. Six in the heart. Times. In, in the, the heart. Yeah, in the heart. Uh, and he lived. It is uh, Ant Myers. <laughs> you can tell by the way that he's wearing a William Shatner mask painted white. <laughs> oh, we're slappy today. A <laughs> little I bit, a little bit. I got lost in the thinking of what William Shatner probably looked like in 1954. Uh, you know, a little, a little slimmer, uh, a little younger, a little, a little younger. maybe childlike. Yeah, I don't know how old he is. Well, I'm very, I'm very uneducated on the early years of Star Trek. I was gonna say, what year <laughs> did Star Trek come out? It was like the '60s, and he 60s. was in a couple. He was in a couple episodes of the Twilight Zone before Star Trek hit, too. Okay, so he was probably maybe a teenager or something. Yeah, yeah nice, he probably probably looked the, one. He probably looked the same as he did in some of the uh episodes that he was in of the Twilight Zone, I would assume, at the time that this movie came out. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the police headquarters, the clues from both scenes are spread out on the table and make no fucking sense. They're all stumped, uh, and they, they have no idea what the strange plaster print is. Uh, they do get a match on the fingerprints from the trailer. It's the Ellison family, and they were on a vacation. And the father was an FBI agent. What a dun, dun, dun. So Killed by the deep state. Yeah. Deep I was state. really, I was really sad for that little girl to lose her parents until I found out that her dad was an FBI agent. And then I'm like, eh, she's probably better <laughs> off. Well, there are some cool FBI agents. Not all of them are going to, you know, lock you into a mental institute and keep you there, even though they know you're not crazy. Um, my lawyer is advising me not to ad- <laughs> not to say anything further, so I'm just going to stop. Uh, they can't all be Fox Mulder. They can't all be Fox Mulder. <laughs> but some of them can be, and that's what matters. So Robert Graham, an FBI agent from the office in... Alamogordo joins the investigation. Bob Graham is also fucking stumped, so he adds nothing uh, to this. But he does suggest that they send the print to Washington for identification. The coroner, Doc Putman, uh, arrives and provides five causes of death. He tells them that Johnson could have died in one of the five ways. So uh, we're going to play a game here, and you're going to think which one is the most likely way. Was it A, his neck and back were broken? B, his chest was crushed. C, his skull was fractured. Or, 
one for Sherlock Holmes. Uh, formic acid. Also, that's only four. Why did they say five causes? They gave four. Five is all of the above, and I'm going to say five. Okay, Darren, would you like I, it to be uh, his neck, his back? His pussy uh, or his crack? <laughs> uh, his chest, his skull, or formic acid? One dollar, Bob. Alrighty then. <laughs> Looks like Darren won because I went over. Uh, yeah. I was going to go chest, uh, crushed chest. Crushed chest. Uh, that is pretty good. I was going to go with his neck and his back because listening to that song can make you make bad decisions, and obviously that is what happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, so sugar's a dangerous thing. You got to watch it. It's, yeah. a, it's a hard game. We talked about Breaking Bad earlier. The, I think sugar was the Breaking Bad of the 1950s. The well, goddamn also, sugar epidemic of the 1950s was ruining the suburbs. Ruining it, goddammit. And also, if you're going to reenact the things that are described in that song, you're going to want something that's very tasty to pour some of on before licking those various areas. Oh, just do what I do. I listen to Death Leopard's Pour Some Sugar On Me. Then I listen to My Neck, My Back. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> we are dumb. So Bob <laughs> Graham receives a telegram from the Bureau telling him to meet Doctors Mefford at the airport and extend all cooperation. The FBI was unable to identify the print and send it to the Department of Agriculture. A military transport and an old North American B-25. Sorry, I started thinking about the Atari modular voice uh, for B-52. <laughs> an American B-25 Mitchell arrives and the first one out is Dr. Harold Metford. He is a short, plump, and slightly distracted by his own thoughts kind of guy, and he plays no games when it comes to ants. Next off the plane is Dr. Meffer's daughter, Patricia. She is a tall brunette and very attractive and prefers to be called Pat. Because I guess that's a character trait in the 1950s. Yeah, they were you trying know, to yeah. they were trying to code her as independent strong woman that wasn't taking any shit, who immediately then is not independent strong and takes lots of shit. Pretty much. Uh we'll get into how women are treated in the nineteen fifties later. Uh so Bob immediately takes a shine to the scientist. The four return to the police headquarters and Metford reviews the clues and reads all the reports. And Metford asks where exactly the first atomic bomb in nineteen forty five was exploded. He is told in the same general area, because we can't be giving out specifics, Dr. Medford thinks out loud, 1945, that's nine years ago. Yes, genetically, it's certainly possible. Bob wants to know what they suspect, but Medford, you know, is going to play the, the, the pronoun game and also just not tell anyone. He won't explain shit. So him and his daughter are certain of the theory, which to me is bullshit. Why not just be like, it's going to sound crazy, guys, but giant fucking ants. I actually thought that worked because they're being so reserved because this is the craziest fucking notion that he could ever say is um, atomic radiation made these ants grow gigantic and now they're killing people. So he's playing it close to the vest and he's like, look, I, I want to explain this to you, but I need to be certain before I go down this route because even he himself doesn't want to believe it. That's why I thought they were playing it pretty cool. I thought he was doing it because he couldn't figure out a way to spin it and blame it on Russia. 
Uh, the the easiest route to go was if it weren't for those darn Ruskies getting involved in World War II, we wouldn't have had to test these bombs to blow up all of Japan. I well, don't know that, that was one of the up, things but... that Russia got pretty upset uh, after they didn't know that we had the atomic bomb. Yeah, <laughs> Russia, go fuck oh, yourself. <laughs> and yeah, I, I can't remember if I got into the, the Rosenbergs and all that stuff last time. You did. The first atomic bomb was tested in New Mexico July 16th, 1945 in Jornada Hor del Muerto, which loosely is uh, Journey of the Dead Man. Uh, that's the translation. Well, that's definitely a good place to drop an atomic bomb, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Project Trinity. Mm. Why didn't we the just time... test it in old Mexico? I mean, well, we built a new one. No while... Mexico. Um, that's technically dropping it on another nation, which is an act of war. So oh. not a good idea. Oh, had, Trump so. been pre had Trump been president back then, that may have actually happened, Jerry. He would have nuked all the hurricanes. <laughs> yes. Because that's when they thought about doing that, was in the 50s. They're <laughs> really hurricanes? Yeah, that was 50s? a suggested that was a suggested thing to do. And but they did some research and figured out that that's batshit crazy. <laughs> it's completely the dumbest idea ever. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Sharknado, clown NATO, nuke NATO. Well, Nuke NATO would be a great asylum film, Jerry. I will not argue that point at all. Like, atomic radiation in a hurricane, that sounds awesomely bad. But uh, <laughs> it, it wouldn't work. I I kind of want this to happen. You know, yeah. Trump's done a lot of bad things. But you know what? The possibility of Nuke NATO makes me have a glimmer of hope. I just want it as a movie, not a real thing. That's all. You're taking some of the fun out of it. So at the <laughs> hospital, uh, Metford examines the girl and consults with a psychiatrist. And a, a small glass filled with formic acid causes the girl to react. She runs and tries to hide while screaming them, them, which is the proper pronouns for an ant. The four exit at the hospital room and visit the trailer site. The wind is howling and blowing and they're wearing masks and it looks like they're about to go to a rave. Pat this remarks, was actually really cool. I, I dug the part where they put the formic acid under her nose and it snaps her out of like the catatonic state that she's in from the trauma because she realizes they might be near her. And the a little actress does such a wonderful job of playing terrified. I just wanted to comment on that. That was really a great scene. 100% agree. She did a fantastic job. Kids can definitely ruin a movie. They can ruin a lot of things. Oh, yeah, Not, like your whole entire life, totally. <laughs> but they can surely ruin a movie. And she did not. Uh, that, that was. I'm glad we all commented on that. Yeah, because child actors, especially in this era, tend to drag a film down. And that little piece really enhanced this movie and made the threat of them seem that much more worse. Yeah, because if it was Shirley Temple or something, they would just be throwing her to the ants and then killing them all with fire. Actually, Shirley Temple probably would have been able to barter with them using uh, animal crackers and probably could save a lot of lives. And they would also love her because she was just so sweet. Oh, the oh they would I see what you did there. Um, 
Also, the reason I don't have kids is so that they will uh, never ruin a movie for someone. <laughs> I am courteous. Boy, I didn't have kids because I didn't want them to ruin my life. I'm doing just fine with that on my own. <laughs> I only have one kid because I only want to provide one soldier to Greta Thunberg in the climate wars that are to come. <laughs> I'm just going to adopt from China and send those to her. There we go. China. <laughs> China. Uh, but, so anyway. Uh, did you guys lose track of how many Wilhelm screams there were in this movie? I tried. Uh, there's like four or some shit, man. There's a lot. I was thinking there was at least five. Maybe. I think I have the number somewhere. But you're not wrong, Darren. There were so many. Like, I was gonna try and keep track of it but then i just gave up because laziness that'll happen we're not uh we're not diligent workers like ants <laughs> no not at all that although i am true. still filled with formic acid for you know poisoning people Ooh, <laughs> speaking of children uh my friend fagan and jerry they have a young son named wilhelm i have yet to hear him scream <laughs> there's still time so, Pat remarks that uh, it's rather slim pickings for food out here, Dad. Uh, they turned carnivorous for a lack of a habitual diet. So, there we go, court. That is where we get our man-eating thing. I was wrong. Thanks for making me look dumb. We're going to move on. <laughs> Mefford agrees, then walks away. Bob wants to know what they were talking about and gets rather insistent. Pat refuses to cooperate because she is an independent woman, but does explain to Bob that her father is an expert in the word Darren said earlier, memorycologist. I didn't pronounce that right. How do you pronounce that, Darren? Mermacologists. Mermacology, I guess, is the, yeah, mermacologist. Back when I played Magic the Gathering uh, in the Mirrodin cycle, we had little creatures named Mirror, and they give you mana. That has nothing to do with this. Myrmacologist sounds like the study of uh, Aquaman, basically. Or Ethel Merman. Yeah, that, that's much better. I, would I don't Ethel know Merman. which one of y'all is nerdier. Like, I, I, <laughs> I reference Magic the Gathering. You reference Aquaman. Darren, I don't know what the fuck he referenced. <laughs> Ethel Merman? <laughs> yes, who is Ethel Merman? <laughs> she a communist? <laughs> she worked uh, in she Russia. Was, she was she was a singer back in the day, I believe. Yes. Oh, uh, communist singer. So hold on a second. I'm She's getting a fucking a, commie. A we will red dawn this whole jazz section. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethel Merman is a singer. I th I believe so. I think um, she was an oh, entertainer at some point. That that's it, how we know her name. That's how I know her name anyway. In the airplane movie. When he's having a flashback to when he was in the hospital during the war, there was somebody who thought they were Ethel Merman. And it was her. And she got up and she started singing and they, you know, put like the net over her head and put a straitjacket on her or something like that. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, everyone, let us know who had the nerdiest response to uh, the weird scientific job of... Muriology or whatever the fuck it Myrmacologist. I don't know. I was gonna make a He-Man reference as in the study of the Merman from He-Man, but I just couldn't figure out how to do that. <laughs> or Eugene Merman from uh Bob's Burgers. Oh, that's I even nerdier. 
do love Bob's Burgers. Uh, the episode of the new season that came out was great. I loved it. It was very heartwarming. I am pleased. Uh, who else is pleased is Mefer, who discovers a print. Measuring it determines that the creature would be over eight feet long. Pat wanders off to find more prints. She discovers one. But then she hears the weird chirping sound. It intensifies and the source reveals itself as a giant ant. And she screams. But of course we've got strong white men here. So Bob comes to a rescue firing his revolver at the creature. But with little effect. Which makes no sense to me. I feel like gunshots would be super effective. It's a fucking ant. Well, I would say that an eight-foot ant would be probably a lot more armored and durable against gunshots than what you would think because they're pretty solid creatures. Um, that's probably why the doctor said go for the antenna because that's the weak spot anyway. That's kind of like a kick to the nuts for an ant. He doesn't have nards. <laughs> Ants don't have nards, but they got antenna. And if you take out their antenna, you take out their smelly, hairy, feely, touchy thingies. Very true. Metford does tell him, shoot the antenna. Uh, and after they are both done, ben, the glass. ben go goes to get a goddamn machine gun from the police car because they just have those and fires enough bullets into the creature to kill it. They all approach to get a closer look at the insect and when asked what it is, Melford replies, species appears to be Camponius vicinius, one of the family formicidae. That's a weird Sunday. And ant. <laughs> Why don't you just say ant? You know, if someone gets attacked by a shark... I'm not going to be like, it was a carcarious carcariodon. I'm just going to be like, it was a great white shark, guys. It fucking, because you know what that is. I don't need to use scientific names to prove that I'm smarter than you, because I'm a doctor and you're not. You already know I'm smarter than you. The funniest part about these 50s films is the way that they always have to give you a little lesson in science or teach you a little something something from the doctor giving you a speech and just giving you like this whole scientific explanation as to how it's supposed to work. Um, I love that part of these types of 50s movies, and I always love it when someone replicates that. Like, I was thinking of the Mant stuff from Joe Dante's um, oh, matinee. matinee. During during this speech, and you can clearly see that um, Mant was influenced heavily by them with the way that the doctor's acting. And even uh, the doctor who explains a lot of the stuff from Mant is in this film as the ambulance guy. At one point, whenever he takes the little girl away, it's that same actor. Wow. Can we get away with doing Mant on this show? While it wasn't created in the Atomic Age, it is inspired by the Atomic Age, and I would love to do matinee. Um, you know, I would say that something that takes place during that age and also has, you know, any kind of excuse I can to cover matinee um, would be fine. And also, you know, we could do it as a uh, side episode where we talk about influences from the Atomic Age of film. That's true. I, I think it's within uh, what what we plan, what we set out to do with this. Yeah, because he's referencing a bunch of the movies from that era and showing you what it's like at the end of that era with how the Bay of Pigs kind of ruined that aspect of life for kids that were into those types of movies. Man, I would love to go to the Bay of Pigs. Think of the barbecue and the bacon. That sounds like it was a great time. <laughs> do you know it's what was a it's, great it's not, time? It's not that kind of pig. It's actually just a bunch of cops hanging around in a bay. It's awful. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. Oh, all so over. it's a shooting gallery. <laughs> oh, wow. Kind of, yeah. Uh, what about Fort Lauderdale? Uh, just a bunch of cops hanging out. Uh, but I, when you were talking about pigs, 
I went down a bad rabbit hole for this episode. I oh, checked shit. out atomic testing on animals. Oh, Jesus, man. All right. So, Is everyone willing to yeah. get sad and lose hope in humanity thinking that the 1950s was this classic era where everything was nice, clean, cut, and pretty. Here comes Darren Wilson to ruin your hopes and dreams of ever going back to a wonderful time like the 1950s. Darren, take it away. I, I, well, okay, I can gloss over it if you like, and you can go look up the information yourself if you want. I'll just say I saw some test footage and some other... But anyway... Uh, codename Priscilla in Operation Plumb Bomb in 1957. They wanted to see what a nuclear blast would do to human skin. And you brought up pigs, which made me think of this. You know, uh, some people say that uh, pig skin is close to human skin. So they took 700 pigs. They, as in the U.S. government. Right. Gave them special uniforms, like they put anti the pigs suits. in uniforms. Yes, like oh my god, basically these silver suits that would contain the thing, so it was easier to study. And they wanted to, and they tied them in pens, and they wanted to see what the rate, the heat radiation and blast of an atomic bomb would do to human skin. So they set off an, an explosion. And it was written off as a failure because, unlike most people, a lot of the pigs survived, but they had third-degree burns over 80% of their bodies. Oh. And um, another test they did was called Starfish Prime, which was to see what a nuclear explosion would do to electronics. So they did that near Hawaii, of course. And it... Uh, it knocked out the power 1,500 kilometers away. I will not really go into details about the tests on what happens to the eyes of monkeys and rabbits. Jesus Christ. Yeah, our government is an asshole. Um, <laughs> that was, they had all these like clockwork orange things that held their eyes open for different lengths of time to see what different shields would do and if the blink reaction was enough to save your eyes from a nuclear blast uh yeah they talk about this in the movie which we're going to be getting back to in just a second but they were talking about the first nuclear test nine years ago in the movie time right by, by 1954 when the movie came out do you want to guess how many mm, nuclear nine. detonations there had been Nine. You're saying nine, Court? 25. 72. Jesus wept. I was thought I was going under or over, I mean. <laughs> 50, uh, 49 inside the U.S., two by the U.S. in Japan, 18 by the Soviet Union, and three by the U.K. So what you're saying is, is that America technically has had more nuclear bombs dropped on it than any other country. So really, we're the victims. Exactly, and that's just by 1954. Wow, way to MAGA that one up, Jerry. You're welcome. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you were talking about pigs, and uh, I wanted to get the bummer 
out of my brain. I went from hungry to depressed. All righty then. I just want bacon now. Uh, Nuclear bacon. That's got to be like a... You know, for your life, like, say uh, Court goes crazy and kills Matt and uses his entrails to hang him uh, from the Statue of Liberty. And he happen. goes to jail for life and uh, he uh, gets his, you know, last meal request. If he asks for nuclear bacon, do you think they would give it to him? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> It depends on what state. Like, my state wants to use all the fentanyl that's been confiscated by drug dealers to execute prisoners. Well, I don't... I'm not a big fan of uh, the death penalty, but, you know, save some money. You know, a buck's a buck. We gotta save some money. I think if we're gonna do it, you know, the cheapest route, you know, let's start reusing some ropes. Uh, but, you know, fuck it. Let's uh, use the fentanyl from the drug dealers. Maybe they'll get a good little high before they die. I'm not sure what fentanyl does to them. Uh, it's better than how they kill people in Russia where they uh, just shoot them with crocodile. So. <laughs> I, I would say just let's use, like, giant ants and a lot of formic acid. Oh, that's cool. We can, like, put, we can pierce their nipples and have the rings attached to sugar cubes. Oh, Jesus, Webb. <laughs> I just pictured that. I'm glad to help. Uh, so with that, General O'Brien, Ben, and Medford are aboard a helicopter searching the desert for a nest of giant ants aboard a second helico- uh, helicopter is Bob, Pat, and Major Kibby. They are also searching for the nest in another sector. Pat admits she is worried about her father. Pat finds what he is looking for, well, what she is looking for, a cone-shaped mound that looks like a brawl from the 1950s. I love that little bit where the father's talking on the radio and he's just so pissed about uh, how radio etiquette is supposed to work. That that gimmicky shit was so <laughs> funny to me. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's it, like... the It was funny to me because this whole movie has been... Uh, you know, him being extremely, like, using all these scientific words, and they're like, dude, just talk to me in regular English, okay? God damn it. But now, like, he's the one that's getting told, no, you have to say over. You have, like, you have to do it this way. And he's like, I don't understand why. And I'm like, dude, you won't even tell them it was ants until you saw the damn ant, and you're getting mad because they're making you say two or three extra words? He reminded me of... um uh, the guy from X the Unknown, um, Quatermass. Like, the way Quatermask was, like, really just kind of, I don't have time for your petty shit, let's just get this done type of scientist, like, no nonsense. Like, he felt very Quatermass in that moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah, taking it back to the Hammer days. Well, I guess going forward to the Hammer days, considering from where we're at with this movie... Not about long ago. It was only a year or so, year or two. Yeah, I mean, Quatermass in the Pit and the X the Unknown would almost fit into what we're talking about here, really. Exactly, because both of those have giant mounds where we see an ant drop a human rib cage over the side. Human skulls, a police belt with bullets, and other bones are littered at the base of the mound. Pat ro- proclaims, You've just found your missing persons. That's so funny. <laughs> That was badass. That was the moment where I'm like, okay, yeah, I totally love this movie. 
I did it when I learned about stridulation. <laughs> Do a line of formic acid and just watch this flick. Oh my god! I like I make a, a new version of absinthe by by doing formic acid on the sugar cubes. Um, in an FBI offense, General O'Brien confronts Dr. Mefford about his inconsistency. Mefford insists secrecy is paramount and that time is the most important thing. O'Brien is anxious to bomb the rest or bomb the nest and be done with it fair. Mefford explains that the ants won't be in the nest at night and there are other factors to consider. Therefore, the nest be, must be examined before they can destroy it. He proposes to attack them during the day with poison gas and examine the nest to verify all of them are dead. During the hottest part of the next day, Brian and Ben fire a bazooka and phosphorus shells onto the mound to keep the area hot and the ants below. Bob Grant and Major Kibby also lace the mound with incinerary shells. Incendiary shells? I don't know what that word is. Incendiary. Incendiary? Incendiary. One of those. Incendiary. I have a speech impediment. Um, that's actually true. I went to speech, uh, therapy classes from preschool to sixth grade. The Meffords watch and wait. Bob and Ben approach the opening with cyanide gas grenades. A worker ant is seen trying to escape the nest and is held off with machine gun fire. The two men bombard the nest with gas grenades. Oh man, we are getting into the thick of it now. We are about to go in this ant hive and kick major ant ass. I hope you are ready. Uh, the action sequence here with all of the various weaponry on display was excellent. This is You can tell this is where they ended up spending the money since they dropped the color in 3D. Uh, I don't think they spent more money in any other area. I think uh, they literally were just I already had all that planned. And they uh-huh. were like, uh, yeah, we're, we're taking away the budget. Oh, uh, well... <laughs> Either way, the action in this really made up for the lack of 3D and color for me. Like, this sequence was awesome. That I agree with. So Bob and Ben prepare to enter the nest. Pat approaches dressed for subterranean exploration. She tells the men that she will accompany them. Bob objects because it's 1950. But Pat explains <laughs> someone with scientific knowledge has to go. My father is physically unable to do it, and that leaves me. Bob reluctantly agrees, and the three descend into the nest. At first... They find dead ants. Dead ant. 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 Further oh, along. Switched into the Pink Panther there. Uh, no. Did not do that. Don't know what you're talking about. Further along <laughs> and down, they are surprised when a wall begins to collapse and they are confronted by some live ants here, quickly dispatched. With Ben's flamethrower in the Queen's Chamber, Pat is disappointed to discover that they are just too late. Without explaining, she takes a few photographs and orders the contents burned. Ben torches all the eggs and dead adult worker ants. I like it. I like using flamethrowers on bugs, giant bugs. Uh, it's what could have saved all the Starship Trooper sequels. But, you know, you got to work with what you got. And also, the the wire frames of the uh, ant puppets that they burned actually held out really well while the ants are moving around and writhing and what should be pain while they're on fire. And for 1950s, that was actually pretty convincing and pretty cool looking. The ants in general look fucking amazing in this movie. For the 50s, totally. Like, I was shocked at how good they hold up for me. 100%. I I, I really enjoyed seeing all the ants. Um, even though Them is my second favorite ant movie, because there is another ant movie that beats it out just based on pure nostalgia, because I saw it first. 
Um, is that I the one with Joan Crawford? Because same. Uh, Empire of the Ants? Yep. Yep, I fucking love Empire of the Ants. Yeah, too bad it doesn't fit into our purview for this show, but God, that is my favorite ant movie. I, I will admit it, too. I love uh, that. Yeah, that movie's so fucking fun. Did uh, you guys watch Dead Ant that came out a year or so ago? No. No. Is it about zombie it's, ants? No, it is about, from what I gather, I only watched it once. But it's some sort of violating a Native American reservation rule. Sean Astin, Jake Busey, Tom Arnold, and their friends who are in a metal band unleash these giant ants that keep growing, and they come to kill them. Wow, that sounds amazingly bad. It's pretty. It's it's one of those cheesy bad movies. Hmm. But it's called Dead Ant. I may have to check that out. So, are y'all ready for some science? Dr. Mefford explains that the empty egg cases are the queen's chambers contain queen ants, which will set up new nests. The team goes to Washington, D.C., a brief panel of military and government personnel. Mefford shows them a film about the ants to give them some idea of what they face in combating the insects. Mefford punctuates his presentation with a warning if they cannot be stopped, man, as the dominant species of life on Earth will probably be extinct within a year. Y'all think that's fair? Do you think giant ants could take us out in a year? Because I, I feel like we have enough firepower uh, that uh, we could take the ants. Well, our government would panic and immediately go to nuclear radiation, which would just make the ants bigger, and it would just escalate exponentially until we're not like kaiju-sized ants and we're all done. That checks out. <laughs> that's how I looked at it checks out plus they make like what thousands of them within a very short amount of time and all it takes is one queen and then like more queens leave and then make their own colonies and it spreads out that would be like i don't know there'd be so many of them so fast it's terrifying to think about okay uh valid point but but let me uh respond with this america America. Which would respond with nuclear radiation and more bombs and would just make them even bigger and then they would spread even faster and be bigger and then it would just be so horrible. All right. Court the commie does not love America. <laughs> uh, a collection center for information is established and all reports of strange phenomenon are funneled through the same. An Air Force sergeant, uh, who is actually Leonard Nimoy, pulls a dispatch off of a teletype machine and hands it to the woman to classify. The note refers to a pilot. Alan Crotty uh, crashing his airplane after witnessing the UFO shaped like ants. He confirms that everything in the building is top secret. Bob and Pat review and dispatch to fly to Brownsville, Texas with Major Kibby to investigate the Crotty report. Uh, so, yeah, did you know that was Leonard Nimoy? Yeah, that was crazy. I was glad that you commented on that um I, it's almost like seeing clint eastwood pop up in uh revenge of the creature as the lab assistant or the fighter pilot i think in tarantula <laughs> you know where you see like these actors that would go on to have such a career and then they just have like these little cameo roles or not yeah. even cameo at the time it would be just like a walk-on oh like, yeah extra. it was it was walk-on extra he was he was uncredited yeah, so that's just amazing, like, because especially when you don't know that it's going to happen and that little sort of thing pops up and then you realize, holy fuck, that's Leonard Nimoy. It's always awesome. Yeah, it's crazy that Leonard Nimoy was in a movie that had ants dressing up as uh, Michael Myers, which is a wearing William Shatner mask, which he would later go on to do Star Trek with. Yeah, that checks out. 
That it does, Court the Commie. Uh, <laughs> it's my new nickname. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, so Alan Crotty reluctantly tells his story to what he perceives as an unbelieving audience. Bob, Pat, and Kibby listen and ask if you questions the three exit as Crotty's room and speaks with a doctor. Bob tells the doctor to keep Crotty confined. He is not crazy, but lock that motherfucker up for the U.S. government. You gotta do it. Now, I'm sure Korthakami is going to give us some reason why this is a bad thing because he does not believe in the protection of America. So, uh, Snowden Court, how do you feel about this? (laughs) Wow, way to just set me up. Yeah, I'm going to be dissenting about it. You can't just put someone in an asylum because you don't agree with what they have to say. That's a fucking violation of their First Amendment rights, which is very American. Thank you very much, Jerry. Uh, here's the thing. There's a band called Corporate Avenger, and they have a song where it says, when they don't like what you say, they stop it in the court, and, uh, that is the original motto of the government in the 1950s, and here they just took it a step further by keeping you in an insane asylum. Darren, how did you feel about this? I, well, the first time on my revisit, I just kept saying, is that the guy from The Blob? (laughs) No, it's the guy who played Davy Crockett in Disney's Davy David Crockett. They were actually um, Disney was watching this film uh, to look at one of the other actors for David Crockett, but they were so blown away by Alan Crotty's performance as uh, the guy who saw an ant UFO that they hired him for David Crockett. It was his big breakout role. Okay. They're like, oh. "Wow, that guy plays insane really well. Let's have him be Davy Crockett." <laughs> Yeah, the, the the old guy that's like, give me the booze. I, yeah, I thought I just thought he was from... We're talking about the pilot, though. We're talking about the pilot. We ain't got to uh, Drunky McSargent Boozy. We, we, we haven't got to him and the, the guy next to him that was in some like it hot. I thought he was <laughs> handsome. I thought he was handsome and credible. Uh-huh. How do you feel about him being locked up by the U.S. government? I, I mean, it checks out. I'm surprised he wasn't just dead. Yeah, that's usually how they handle things. Shut up, communist. <laughs> I'd call you a communist, but your responses are so common, you're now a communist. I'm a communist? That communist. works for me. You, you're... Communist court, yeah. Yeah, you're you're being demoted. <laughs> so... You took the U out of communist. Yeah. Um, I put the com in communist. I'm about to put the com in you. Uh, here we go. Where are we at now? Uh, oh, we get to go to the boat now, right? Yeah, we get to go to the boat. So, uh, we get an incoming message that the USS Viking report has a nest of ants hatched aboard their ship at sea. Only two survivors were rescued by the Navy. Uh, the Viking was ordered sunk by naval gunfire, uh, because, you know, we got enough money to be doing that. The Meffers conclude that a queen flew aboard and hatched at uh, a nest while the ship was uh, anchored in Alcapulco, Mexico. See, we should have done the testings in old Mexico. For three days and four nights it was there. An official at the meeting is convinced that the public shouldn't be notified of his danger, but the consensus is to keep things secret to avoid panic. Pat reports that Kibby, Ben, and Bob are in Los Angeles investigating a lead, the theft of 40 tons of sugar. So, big complaint here. I want to see more ants fighting humans on a ship. This should have been a bigger scene. 
wouldn't that have been an awesome sequel where there was another freighter out in the middle of nowhere that they landed on and then it comes into port like the Demeter style from uh, Dracula and then the ants just spread from a port on the ship? That'd be cool. Yeah, I would love to see that. I want to see, I want, I want to see fucking uh, ant pirates. Well, or even hey. just like a, a battleship like shooting flying ants or some shit like that. That'd be fucking awesome <laughs> i want the ants to show up and be like give me all your sugar look at me look at me i am the ant now um that's totally <laughs> the empire of the ants you just described there ah fuck you're right <laughs> except maybe, they're not maybe on they had maybe they had a whole scene set up where the flying ants were attacking the ship since this is does seem to be a whole fable about the use of uh, nuclear weapons and the the things that it could do to mankind, but maybe they it was one of those uh, things where they're still deleting the twin towers out of movies. Oh wow! You know where they just like couldn't have flying things attacking ships so close to Pearl Harbor, or do you think it was budgetary, or do you think? I think just it just didn't... wasn't in the budget, or maybe yeah. even in the like, because it probably would have cost a lot more to have ants actually fighting on like the ship for us to see like the outside of the ship and shit yeah how would they be able to puppeteer it they'd have to cut holes in a ship they would they're just the the sheer restrictions of being able to do that and to build a set to do it i just you know they're, they're also, not going to board our board our gordon it and have like an ant walking over a photo of a battleship and say yeah. that it's on a battleship <laughs> also 9-11 was a joint attack between japan and Seatopia. <laughs> That's a Godzilla reference. <laughs> yes, because the one of the v, one of the many VHS releases where Godzilla versus Megalon shows Godzilla and Megalon fighting each other on top of the twin towers. Yeah, yeah. That's because the King Kong from the seventies had King Kong standing one foot on each tower, right? Uh, yes, but uh, that is just America trying to throw you off the clues that Japan and Seatopia were paid by America to do it. <laughs> that director yeah. the the guy who did the VHRs, VHS art for that King Kong 76 was trying to include and tell the American people that yes giant monsters did indeed do it but America paid for it <laughs> that went nuts that went real nuts well you know I'm just out here spreading the truth you know uh, gotta, gotta let people know what's going on and in fact it is Sunday morning and Ben and Bob talk to the rail yard detective, a man who is uncredited in this movie, but his name is Dick Wessel. And I like saying Dick Wessel. That sounds like a good detective name. Either that or someone who is trying to say Dick Vessel, but has an accent of Romanian descent. That could be. You would know that because you're a communist. He reports <laughs> sure. that their rail card was broken into on Friday night, and the yard watchman is being held as a suspect. At police headquarters, Bob questions the yard watchman. Uh, ben was questioning Mrs. Lodge about the death of her husband. Bob and Ben go to the morgue to see the body and talk to the coroner. And the coroner explains, I don't think this happened in a machine. You know, this was no Jack the Ripper. It's no <laughs> boating accident. Uh, this ain't no fooling around. The size yeah. of a shot glass. <laughs> Uh, the missing arm and laceration on the chest are curious. He attributes the death to shock and loss of blood. Lodge was with his two children, but he was found alone in his car without any trace of the arm. Bob questions Mrs. Lodge, but she tells 
Pam, she has no clue where her husband took the children in the morning. Benner interrupts the interrogation to question patrolman Ryan and Sutton. They found Thomas Lodge. They show Bob and Ben on the map of the city where they found his body. Bob and Ben interview four people cited by the officers. Three drunks and a speeding ticket. A blonde floozy. Uh, Hello. Questioned and released. Uh, she was seeing a married man. She was up all night with a sick friend. Uh, like Shakes the Clown. I was up all night with a sick friend. She was called Sidepiece. Hello. Uh, I hope I my like fiance the look. does not listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, our women don't listen to our shows, do they? No, because they are not allowed, because this is the 1950s. Also, <laughs> mine has got enough to deal with me around all the time anyway. She doesn't need to hear me talk on a fucking podcast about a movie she tried to sleep through. <laughs> Just in case, we all love you. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, two of the three drunks are returned to the tank to sleep it off, and Ryan explains that the third drunk is at the hospital in the alcoholic ward, which is the ward we will see Court's uh, best friend uh, on Cinema PsyOps, Matt, be taken to uh, later on this week. Yeah, on my podcast, he is my best friend on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> have He's to throw in enough qualifiers to make pod. that true. <laughs> what was that, Darren? He's your closest friend on the podcast. Yeah, he's the closest friend I have on Cinema Psyops. <laughs> and we know you won't be listening, so we can say all we want about you. Yeah, he doesn't listen to any show he's not on because he wants to hear his own voice, and that's it. Wow, Matt, I uh, I thought we had something, but I guess it's just me staring through your window and you not knowing I'm there. Uh, yeah, also, he probably doesn't even know who you are, Jerry, because that's how Matt works. Take uh, take more showers, Matt. That's a problem. Uh, <laughs> the war doctor escorts Kimmy, Bob, and Finn to see Jensen. Uh, Jensen, by the way, the actor who played Jensen is named Olin Howlin. Olin Howlin. Olin Howlin. You cannot make this up. Sounds like an old school blues man, doesn't it? It does. He would also be drunk. Jensen tells him that he saw a little airplane and, a, and large ants down in the open storm jarring channel. Bob comments that the opening looks like they may be worth investigating. Jensen's loud outburst disturbs the alcoholic in the next bend. Uh, who please? Please, my nerves. Ryan drives Bob, Ben, and Kibby down to the riverbed. They search the area to find a model plane. Kibby finds an ant print, which confirms the drunk's story. Let's talk about this drunk. Man, you start off by screaming, you can't enlist me. Then you're willing to get enlisted if you can be put in charge of the alcohol. Like, you are a bear in Russia. What the fuck? This guy is hilarious. Yeah, he's certainly a uh, fun drunk as opposed to an abusive one. He's the kind of drunk that you don't mind being around and giving booze to. Eh, he's kind of annoying. I don't know. I think I might end up abusing him. Well, if I abused every annoying drunk, I wouldn't have cinema psyops. So there we go. This guy is the Matt psyops <laughs> of the ant world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you have to, like, bribe Matt over with alcohol to get him to be there? Like, you claim that 
Like, you make it seem like you don't need him as a best friend. That's why y'all are the closest friends on the show. But really, <laughs> you he hates you and you have to bribe him with alcohol because he gets annoyed with you making him seem like a neo-Nazi, which is weird because you're a communist. So how much better are you? Um, I don't know where that was going, but no, I've never had to bribe him with alcohol. His desperate need for any kind of external validation keeps him coming back to the show. And yet he will not look at me uh, from the window. (laughs) That's because he doesn't know you're there. Rap on the window and see what happens, Jerry. Um, I did rap once. I was rapping DMX and he still didn't pay attention. I meant knock on the window so that he can hear the window being tapped. Jerry gonna give it to you. (laughs) <laughs> no. Okay, Jerry Herring Ooh. gonna give it to you. Oh, oh. <laughs> but Olin Holland was in the Blob. Okay, he's the so guy that him. was in the Blob. Yes, Hell he was yeah. the old. He was the old man. In the, the prospector blob. guy that got the thing on his arm, right? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. I just wasn't a hundred percent positive. Good call, man. Every once in a while, I'm useful. Much like Matt. All right. A news conference is called on Sunday evening. Uh, General O'Brien makes the announcement by direction of the president of the United States in full agreement with the governor of the state of California and the mayor of Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles is in the interest of public safety hereby proclaimed to be under martial law. Curfew is at 1800 hours. Any person on the street or outside their quarters after 6 p.m. tonight will be subject to arrest by military police. O'Brien explains what prompted such drastic action. He explains that the giant ants were discovered in New Mexico and the nests have been established in the storm drains under the city of Los Angeles. Uh, unfortunately, the ants have started listening to Rage Against the Machine and the Battle for Los Angeles album is going to cause mad riots. That is not true. The military begins a stage for the attack. A field headquarters is established outside the storm drain during the model airplane and print uh, that was discovered. Search units and jeeps proceed the storm drains or proceed into the storm drains. About a mile in, Ben hears something and requests all engines stop. As he investigates the pipe that leads to a section still under construction, he finds Mike Lodge and his brother Jerry Lodge trapped. And about to be attacked by the ants. Uh, one of the kids uh, literally looks like he's shitting himself. And the other kid has the the most blank expression I've ever seen. Like he is just high and does not know where he is and is afraid to move. I think he's just catatonic. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely shock. But I just think it's funny that one's about to shit himself and the other one's like... Uh, just not doing anything. It's like the cinema psyops of ants attacks. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Are you the one shitting yourself and Matt not doing anything or? Well, Matt's usually not doing anything unless it is shitting himself. So bang (laughs) on my co-host all you want. And and Cord is in shock at how much Matt shits himself. (laughs) Yeah. The amount of chairs I go through is ridiculous. Now that I know Matt doesn't listen to this, I can just make fun of him as much as I want. It's great. Until someone tells him that you're bagged on on the whole show, and then he listens to it. And he's like, what's this fucking guy outside my window? What? Who the fuck is Jerry? <laughs> and why is he traveling from fucking Nashville all the way up to me? And, you know, it's not that far when you know instant transmission. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball Super. I'm sorry. 
Uh, At least you uh, didn't say you were going to Naruto run towards him. Uh, look here. Uh, you can talk as much shit as you want about me, but if you ever, ever disrespect me by naming garbage animes as <laughs> things I watch, uh, I will stop going to Matt's house and start going to yours. And much like the 1950s, I will pull a machine gun out of a cop car that I obviously stole because uh, America. <laughs> oh, and if you think I'm going to kill you, I'm not. Every time you go to open a beer or smoke your vape or <laughs> enjoy some marijuana, I'm going to shoot it out of your hand. <laughs> you will remain sober without nicotine or alcohol or THC for the rest of your fucking life, Court. <laughs> well, I don't use nicotine, so we're good. It's all caffeine. I will take caffeine. I will turn you into a goddamn Mormon. How dare you, sir? <laughs> and I was referencing the everybody wanting to Naruto run to Area 51. I wasn't trying to say that you watched that. I just was making fun of that. Nice backpedaling. Must have learned that from Matt. <laughs> I learned it by watching you, Jerry. Uh, what do you mean, watch me? You think I'd be watching Naruto? You talking <laughs> shit? <laughs> we only watch the best of the best. Berserk, Ghost in the Shell, Trigun, uh, Hentai. Classy stuff, okay? God damn. Do you, like do you like Afro Samurai? Uh, I do enjoy some Afro Samurai. It's not as good as uh, Ninja Scroll, but it is very enjoyable. Uh, but we were at the military is setting up in the uh, drain pipe. Oh, yeah. They found the, the kids. Yeah. Uh, and the ants are about to attack the kids, but Ben shows up and starts killing ants with a flamethrower. He rescues the boys and sends them back down the pipe, but unfortunately, Ben Tramer dies. Wait, no, wrong Ben. Uh, but yeah, Ben dies. He gets, uh, an ant sneaks in and uh, fucks him up, uses mandibles to crush him to death. But that's okay, because all units are sent to drain 267 to engage the enemy. O'Brien and Dr. Mefford drive to the location. Bob and a unit of soldiers fight their way to the nest area, killing many ants with gunfire. O'Brien and Mefford arrive and order a ceasefire. A section of the tunnel collapses, trapping Bob inside with the ants, and as soldiers dig away the rubble, uh, Bob is basically dancing around the ants like uh, Ali uh, with a fucking gun. Yeah, so, the stick and move stuff here is really cool. I like it. I like dancing with ants. Yeah. It's much better than dancing with the stars, especially since Sean Spicer's been on it. Hold me tiny antler. Uh, ants do not have antlers, but goddamn it, it'd be cool if they did. <laughs> well, the, you think they would, because antlers should be something that ants should have. I agree with that statement. All the worker ants protecting the nest are killed. Mefford has called and examines the nest. He says, this is an egg chamber. I'm certain no new queens have escaped from this nest. The job will be done when these are destroyed. So O'Brien orders, okay, burn them out. Flamethrowers destroy the winged queen and consort ants as Dr. Mefford waxes philosophical. When man entered the atomic age, he opened the door into a new world. What we will eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. 
We close with a slow zoom in shot of the ants on fire, some of them still moving. I love that little uh, ending speech that he gave. I was going to suggest that we use that to open the show at some point. It like, is already in my notes to open the show uh, with that one. Yeah. And I also was like, man, if we do like any kind of actual like music for the show, that should be included in it because that's perfect for the show. All right. I'm I'm gonna snag the thing about martial law for psychosomatic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I forgot to say, do you guys want to guess how many nuclear test explosions there have been to date? Let's see. We had seventy something. It was seventy two before. Um, it, yeah, they stopped at some point because they realized they're really fucking things up with all the nuclear radiation they've released into the air. They probably watched them. Yeah, and yeah. Godzilla. Eventually, they came to that conclusion, yes. Uh, can I know what year they came to that conclusion? Do we know that? When when they uh, temporarily stopped? What do you mean, temporarily? Well, uh... We started again? Let's see. The treaties... The, the treaties for... Let's see. Da, 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 da. I th- it was sometime in the early 1990s when they oh, official. Well, we're going with official. We're going with officially. So, uh, let's see, Pakistan tested a nuke in 1998. Jesus. Um, so, mm, yeah, <laughs> I was born in 1988. Uh, I thought you 19- said 98. Oh, did he say 98? Yeah. yeah. Well, the Godzilla movie came out in 1998, the American one, so I blame Pakistan. Uh, well, it was a terrible bomb of a film, so yeah, you're probably right. It has definitely caused more damage to the world than nuclear bombs have. Yeah, and Matthew Broderick's acting alone is part of that reason. Oh, Matthew Broderick. Didn't he kill somebody in Ireland? He did. He was drunk driving and murdered someone. It's still not as big a crime as his acting in Godzilla 1998. It is not. I feel very sorry for that person's family, but still. <laughs> Holy shit, did you know they actually did attempt to remake them? I was wondering I if they were that. going to, yeah. They just decided against it, right? Yep, pretty much. That's, that's There's not much to it. Very strange. But, uh... Let's see. There have been over 2,000 nuclear test explosions. America has officially had 1,149. I think we should have one more just to get it to 50. You know, uh, I guess they're saving that for the next time a hurricane threatens us. (laughs) Yeah, 1150 sounds like a good round number of radiation that we've released into the air to mutate living things. Did you know when this film was released in Poland, it won, it went under the name One? W O N or O N E? O N E. That really is not important, but I like looking up alternative film names from other countries. I think Them is a perfect name for this, especially whenever you get that moment of the girl freaking out. And screaming them about the ants whenever she smells the formic acid. Yes, uh, it was a great... Uh, I'm, I'm surprised they could predict the future, having the little girl represent Republicans in 2019 when they have to use proper pronouns for people. 
<laughs> that was a stretch to get there, but I I appreciate it. I liked it. You know, I had to I had to go there some way, and that was the way I was going. <laughs> okay, um <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me to name. Uh in Sweden it was called Spindelarna, which translates to the spiders. That makes no sense at all, Sweden. Get your act together. Yep, I don't know why it was like that, but uh, in the game Fallout 3, you could uh, play a mission that was called Those, where you had to eliminate a colony of giant fire ants. Way to go. Fallout, you said? Yeah, that's yep. a good reference there. I like that. Fallout 3. Um, the movie is also mentioned in Steam is Stephen King's famous best-selling novel, It. Yeah, because the kids are all terrified by classic movie monsters because it takes place in the 50s. Yep, and Michael Mike Mikey Halloran is scared of Rodan. Which they don't actually use Rodan, but they use a giant bird instead because he was attacked as a baby by a bird. So it was something but they also do mention the giant claw in that book, so we can have bad things. I don't know how we're gonna do the giant claw. I don't know how we're even gonna make it through that. <laughs> yeah, we barely made it through Ant <laughs> through them with uh out being super punchy, so. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> uh... The Wilhelm scream can be heard four times when the giant ants attack their cruise ship at sea when Police Sergeant Ben Peterson was throttled by a giant ant, when a soldier is struck by falling debris in the sewer, and when James Arness gets separated from the rest of the army and the ants try to attack him. So it's only four times. I thought I heard five. Four times. Six uh, times. I shot him six times with the Wilhelm scream. I Wilhelm screamed in the heart. <laughs> Technically, there is a fifth one, but it is off screen. Uh, there is also a scream off screen with Peterson's partner, Ed Blackburn, when he investigates the sounds made by the ants. So technically there is five, but I guess Wilhelm screams only count if they're on camera screens. That's stupid. If you hear it, it you hear yeah. it. So I count it. It's fucking audio. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, whether it's a person that's supposed to be screaming on screen as on screen as they fall, or whether it's off screen just to say that someone is screaming, you played the Wilhelm screen, that counts. Exactly. So, at the end of the day, though, I do have to say, uh, them definitely holds up. It is not just classic status for having classic status. It is a really well-made movie. It is very entertaining. I do like all the characters. It doesn't go super hard on the um, stereotype of the 1950s being, you know, anti-women. It, uh, it was all right. I mean... Whoever the uh, obviously soon-to-be blacklisted writer was tried very hard to make her a strong and independent woman... But you could tell that whenever they were filming it, they still were like, no, no, this doesn't work. She needs to, you know, scream and go hide behind a man when she's in trouble, you know? <laughs> she, needs, she needs to do the house on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Lance, help me, Lance. Ted Shirtaman. Uh, That's was, a real name? Ted yes. Shirtaman? <laughs> yes, Shirtaman. He uh, is known for working on the Toho classic Latitude Zero. Ooh, good uh, the Flying Nun. Not a good uh, film. Episodes of Bewitch and Wagon Train. Island of the Blue Dolphins. 
That's a good one, I guess. Um, did he do anything else in the sci-fi? Ooh, he did the toy tiger, which definitely looks pedophilic. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like he did any... Yeah, he didn't really do anything other science fiction, which is kind of sad. So really just Latitude Zero and... Um, them. So that's good. What did, did the director do anything? Ooh, the fortunes of Captain Blood. Hello. That's good. Um, I want to see that. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Oh, that was a, I like that movie. He directed that. I just like saying the title. I've never seen the movie. Is that did the he... uh the sequel to In the Heat of the Night? Yeah, I believe so. What yeah. uh, it's it's paired with it. I it's been so long I can't remember which one was first, but Well, but yeah. Tibbs is Tibbs is from In the Heat of the Night as well, so it's it features that character. Yes. I just know the line from Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> so there's that. Ooh, the Rogues of Sherwood Forest. Mr. Soft Touch. I like this guy. <laughs> he didn't really do much science fiction either. First Yank into Tokyo. Zombies on Broadway. Okay. All right, I'm going to start reading, reading off The Devil with Hitler. What the fuck? Okay. Robin and Robin and Seven Hoods isn't that a Frank Sinatra movie? That I believe is my so. Mixtape name. I do all <laughs> DMX covers, but I do them really white. Stop, drop, shut them down. Open up shop. Hey, stop, drop. Oh, gentrify. Open up shop. Oh, oh. nice. I'm gonna hire you as a ghostwriter. We were really gonna white this thing up. Sounds like Richard Cheese. Uh, it does sound a bit like Richard Cheese. I'm not going to lie. Uh, still, white people singing rap songs really white entertains me. So here we go. Okay, so parting words for them. I absolutely fucking love the movie. I, I thought it was really good. It is probably the best natural creature feature of the 1950s. Because uh, I separate creature features into... Uh, natural and unnatural, and I do allow mutations in for natural, because a, a natural would be them, and unnatural is, like, Godzilla. Because technically we don't know what was turned Godzilla into. It's more it's more monster than real-life animal. So their natural is real-life animal, and unnatural is monsters, uh slash kind of dinosaurs well and if the mutation were to turn it into something new like a new species whereas these are just ants that are giants so it's still natural i totally get what you're saying there whereas godzilla at one time was a dinosaur but is now something new from his mutations yeah now if they would have given uh the ants like i don't know antlers we could have talked but you didn't you really you know what they didn't give the ants antlers one out of five this movie sucks <laughs> um no, I, I disagree. Even though there's a shocking lack of antlers, I still really like this film, so I'm going to give it all the antlers, five out of five. Nice, I'm actually with you. It is a five out of five. I just very upset about the lack of antlers. Darren, what do you think? I think I can get you some pictures of ants from them with antlers. <laughs> and we can all agree that it is five out of five antlers. 
<laughs> I want to just like re-edit the whole movie and like just digitally add antlers to all the ants. <laughs> we can dream. Ta- I want to tattoo uh, Voltron onto some of the ants. Like they have like uh, tattoos from like cartoons that wouldn't show up for 30 years. <laughs> no, what am I looking for? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can never go too far when it's giant ants with antlers. And, uh, you know, I think we can all agree on that. That is very true. Somehow I'm going to figure out how to turn my Castle Grayskull into a bong. That also has nothing to do with this. This episode was a little wacky. uh, (laughs) Just a little. And that's going to happen in some of these movies because some of these movies don't have, like, a giant message which we'll see a lot more in the nuclear creature features because the big scare here is what can the nuclear weapons do to us later on um we had no idea what they could do we were still testing on pigs chernobyl hadn't happened um the birth of matt hadn't come up yet (laughs) It, it was still a lot of curiosity so it's a little less political, but it is more of like, what are we doing to ourselves? But I was happy with this. I had a lot of fun. I talked in weird voices for no reason. <laughs> and I made fun of Matt, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> made fun of Matt for all the reasons. And yes, I, I also enjoy a film where saying we need to be careful and not destroy our planet back when that was not a partisan issue. <laughs> yeah, back when that was not being done just to own the libs. Yeah, back when it was, uh, science could be bad. Unfortunately, a lot of people still think science is bad and won't listen to scientists. In the 1950s, scientists were trying to destroy everything, but in 2019, they try to save us, but we don't listen to them because we believe everything that happened in the 1950s should go on like that forever. Until next time. I sip my tea. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this uh, great, wonderful Atomic Age saucer cast, the sexiest saucer man to serve you info on movies. Uh, with that being said, uh, Court Psyops, please explain to people what you do and where they can find you. I make weird noises into microphones that eventually gets recorded and put out on the internet as cinema psyops with my often drunk co-host, Matt. Uh, easiest place to find it is the same place that you got this legionpodcast.com, Although it's category cinema psyops. Very nice. Uh, Mr. Darren, where can they find your uh, location for audio clippings of information? Uh, I would say for certain kinds of information and conversation, look up Psycho Semantic. That is also on Legion Podcasts. And for another kind of information, but not the kind that you would think of because of the name, the VD Clinic Podcast. (laughs) We do throw in some some healthy tidbits, but we are not trained professionals. Uh, Yeah. Everything's psychosemantic or VD Clinic Pod, except for on Twitter, psychosemantic is at political movies, and that might give you a little hint as to the type of conversation that happens over there. Yes, indeed, and you can find me on the same feed. It's uh, Kill the Cast. Uh, we also do Underwater Kaiju from 
Outer Space, Colts Unknown, uh, Jerry Hates Action. I got all kind of goodies and goodies for you. So come check those out. And uh, also there is now a Facebook group just for Atomic Age SaucerCast. So if you want to come in there and talk all things 1950s Atomic Age black and white uh, movies, come join us. We'll be there. That is where you will probably see a picture of ants with antlers on them. One would probably, hope. yes. So with, soon. Yes. With that being said, we will see you all next time as we venture back into the atomic age and uh, talk about uh, you know court being a communist and <laughs> why we need to fix that. We will make him watch Red Dawn, and if he doesn't like that we will make him watch the remake so please no i recant my communism don't make me sit through that fucking remake and that is how i could have saved america in 1950 all right we are out of here thank you all for listening we love y'all kind of sort of maybe eh. uh depends on if my fiance is listening or not and uh <laughs> that is it keep watching the skies If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Go Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.